0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Stacks. Uh, as always, this is Jay, the curator of The Stacks. And I'm Shanna, the co-host person of The Stacks. And uh, for our first film this week, we are discussing the 1968 uh, Japanese film Outlaw Gangster VIP, the first in a series of Outlaw Gangster films. Uh, and This one's directed by uh, Toshio Masuda. And it's based on the true story of one slasher Goro, uh, a real Yakuza figure who wrote his own memoirs uh, in, I guess, the 50s that were quite a big success.
1: Sorry, I have a cat on me. (laughs) Yes, uh, this movie was, well, I picked this movie, I don't remember why I picked this movie, but looking at the thumbnail, on the letterbox picture, I thought from the from the cover that it was going to be one of those early two thousands Jet Li films, and uh, it's not, and that's that's okay.
0: Well, it's certainly something that would have influenced those. Uh, This is certainly a very influential film, kind of a landmark film in a lot of ways. Just uh, for it comes from a trend in more youth-oriented cinema, which was kind of revolutionary in Japan at the time. Uh, And this comes from Nikatsu, who were sort of this weird studio who had been shut down for quite a while. And they were just sort of reopening post-war at this point Uh, due to, like, political reasons. They were shut down from the early 30s to post-war. Right. Uh, So they're coming back. they're, They're sort of, like, a scrappy newcomer and they were sort of going about things in a different way they marketed much more toward the youth they had uh, just quarter, sort of more rock and roll cinema uh, a lot of visualist stylization and w- a lot of their gang pictures were very romanticized uh, up to this point point. and this one's kind of a little bit more moving into realism uh, in terms of the way gangs are depicted and it's based on a true story and and there's more shades of gray to it all.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, uh, our hero is not somebody who you'd necessarily call heroic, but also doesn't seem to be a bad guy at all, really.
0: He, he's, he's the classic honorable Yakuza. Like, he does go by a, a personal code and the Yakuza code, and it's just that the business he's in no longer does. Like, he's recognizing that the people around him are not really uh, up to the level of himself morally. Especially the rivals. Whereas his own boss doesn't seem too bad, but, you know, is kind of willing to fold.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is uh, him finding out... Well, he goes to jail uh, at the very beginning of the movie, and then he finds out that the Yakuza world has changed while he was away, which is... Exactly the plot of every Yakuza video game.
0: Yeah, and and I would say that a lot of them probably both are influenced by Goros memoirs as well as this film series. Uh, oh, and and there's a few life. other film series that are uh, certainly in the same vein. Uh, the Battles Without Honor and Humanity series as well, which uh, has some of the same, a lot of the same people involved, and I believe is also an a Katsu series. Um, So I guess before we get to that point, uh, where we open is this really beautiful black and white snowy opening, which sort of shows a bunch of vignettes of the very harsh post-war childhood of Goro. Uh, We we see both his mother and sister die. I think his sister dies of starvation. I I can't remember what happens to his mother. Uh, But he has to turn to thievery to survive. And we see him ending up in a juvenile detention center.
1: Um, yeah, where he has to separate from, I guess, his brother from the detention center as they escape.
0: Actually, no, um, that, that uh not his real brother, but they're... No, no, but uh, they that's, call him brother. Yeah, so that's Sugiyama, who will be a pretty important character throughout the film later on.
1: Oh, that, okay, that's who that is. I, I was having a lot of trouble keeping track of everybody's names and who was who in this.
0: Yeah, some of them are a little bit hard to keep track of. Uh, It it was easier having, like I did watch it a couple times, uh, and just the way the stories come together near the end, it becomes a little bit easier on a review to catch how all of them meet up at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it cuts to not quite the present day after that. And we see the thing that gets him put in jail. Uh, so this is sort of like the first thing post-credits where uh, a friend shows up at his door. I think this is Suzuki who shows up to say that uh, Ueno, Ueno, it's uh, Ueno the, is, yeah, Ueno, the, the,
1: that's the other the clan. Rivals.
0: Yeah, the rival the bad
1: clan. bad guy
0: clan. Yeah, so they're hitmen is uh, about to do a hit on their boss, which is, uh, they're the Mizuhara clan. So we see the hitman who uh, is just gunning down a bunch of people at a nearby bar. And Goro just comes, and and the way he enters the bar is amazing. He flips into the door above the hitman and just, like, flips in over him. Very cool.
1: It's... I should have rewound it and watched it again because it was very, very fast. It was all one movement. And I was like, what did I just see?
0: It's a big flashy move, especially yep, like it's... a guy who's already firing a gun at people. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I guess we should also note at this point is when we are introduced to Tetsuya Watari as Goro, uh, because the earlier sequences have him as uh, a child. Uh, so when we get Tetsuya Watari... Who is hot, man? Oh Smolder. very intense. Uh, like I've seen him in a lot of things. This was like his big breakthrough role. Although before this, he'd been in the fantastic Tokyo Drifter, which is kind of like a more abstract version of this by Seijun Suzuki.
1: So, so what exactly does he do here again? I think he, he so stabs the, hit- the hitman, but doesn't.
0: Yeah. So the the hitman is Sugiyama again. Uh, So this is, and that's why when they, when he runs into him and they, they have like a brief uh, exchange of dialogue and he does call him brother here as well. Uh Uh, And he, he, he does stab him with his short sword. He just kind of charges him. Uh, But it's when he coughs, cause Sugiyama is sick with tuberculosis. Yeah. Uh, so, and then, then he stabs him because he specifically does not want to kill him. And they're like, oh, you, you specifically avoided my, my, uh, organs so as not to kill me. Uh, and he, he's kind of resentful of it in a way. Uh, but both of them get arrested. Uh, one of them is also, you know, being carted off to the hospital, but then to jail. Uh, and both of their girlfriends show up, uh, and Goro's girlfriend says she'll wait for him. Uh, Sugiyama's, Sugiyama's girlfriend calls him a murderer and. Just totally tells him off. Uh, the color design of this scene is really beautiful. Because we've got uh, one of the girlfriends in blue, the other one in red. And these contrasting colors. You've got the big rainy wet street. All of these uh, neon lights the, just giving pops of color in the background. It's a very oh, nice looking film.
1: It is nice looking, but how did I not notice the blue and the red on the on the two girls?
0: I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch it. It's pretty cool looking Uh, and and it's striking because like they're in the scene where they're being driven away by the police. There's sort of a tableau of them kind of in a line. It's really cool looking. Uh, I I would say that the color design in this movie is often very striking. Uh, It uses rain very well. It uses wetness uh, in, in the streets. So after this, it cuts to three years later. And this is 1956 when he gets out of jail.
1: Um, okay, so he gets out of jail, oh
0: crap, so one of the things, (laughs) okay, well, so one of the things, first things, uh, we run into these two women who are from out of town feeding pigeons, uh, and their wallet happens to go missing, uh, and this one guy at the the restaurant or bar or whatever decides to help them, quote-unquote, by paying their bill. But then uh, four other guys surround them uh, because they're going to entertain them, quote-unquote, uh, to which Goro has to intervene. And this is his first encounter the, with the Ueno clan uh, after getting the
1: <laughs> I love this scene. <coughs> Pardon me. I love this scene because he just tells the girls to run off. And we watch... We watch the uh, the view as it, the camera kind of focuses on the girls, and we just see him in the background of the shot kicking the crap out of these five guys
0: with very little effort. Oh uh, yeah, and, He's and not then even their trying. boss, yeah, their boss shows up, who's uh, Kenka, uh, and he remembers Goro from before he went to jail, and it's like you guys are idiots, and and he starts beating them up too, yeah, uh, which was kind of fun. <laughs> Uh he lines them all up and slaps them. It's Kind of cool. Uh and but he does also warn Goros, like, listen, Ueno has become a lot more powerful while you were away. And obviously Mizuhara has not uh become any more powerful as we definitely do see. Uh-huh. Uh and and like he saved Mizuhara the the boss's life in the bar earlier. Like the boss was about to get hit, uh, so he's very warmly welcomed back. Uh, and the boss is like, "Here, please take a whole bunch of money." Uh, although Goro will not accept any because uh, part of the uh, yakuza code is you cannot accept any money uh, unless you're going to die. Like I, I think so, you can only accept money that you're going to die for. <laughs> well,
1: that's interesting. That how do you something get, like that get? that go get yeah you're not groceries. supposed to get
0: paid yeah i mean like you, you're not really allowed to get paid off you you kind of just work within the system or something like you can't take like a paycheck <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i mean i guess no you can't really go to the bank and like yeah here's my uh here's my monthly yakuza paycheck
0: yeah and it oh. seems like more of just like a communal thing, like when he meets up with these guys later and he's supposed to get an apartment, one of them just gives them gives him his apartment. Uh, well, and,
1: yeah, there is a lot of that. They, they just met this guy like that night.
0: Yeah, and they're really enthused. Like, it, it is a very warm welcome. His gang does really seem like much more of a community. They, and, and this is sort of the romanticized part. Of,
1: yeah, uh, the history. gang. Everyone in his gang seems like really great guys.
0: Yeah, the Mizuhara gang. They all seem like kind of sweethearts. Uh, so when uh, after Goro meets up with his boss briefly, uh, he goes to stop in at the bar from earlier, uh, and also learns uh, that his girlfriend did not wait for him, as it turns out.
1: And then, oh. His reaction was like his reaction was weird, and I don't know what to make. Or at the time, I didn't know what to make of it. He's like, "I'm going to kill her." Ha, yeah. ha, 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 I can have anyone I want. What? Is, I'm not good. I don't care about her. And I'm like,
0: Yeah, he cycles through. Real? He cycles through a couple of very different reactions very quickly. It's like, at first, he seems very serious, like, oh, I'm going to kill her. I'm so angry. And, and he initially seems hurt, and then he seems angry. And then he's like, no, this is all a joke. I, I don't care at all. It's, it's nothing. Uh, and then Yukiko shows up, uh, played by Chieko Matsubara, who's uh, the one of the two girls uh, who are feeding pigeons who are attacked by those guys who he saved. Uh, and she's oh. so into him already.
1: She's like she's decided that they're going to get married and have little Yakuza babies.
0: Yeah. And, and she's she's completely planned out her sold future the with idea. them. Yeah. She sent but her friends home. already going to
1: happen in her mind.
0: Yeah, like, her friend has already gone home, and, and she's like, no, I sent her home, but I, but I need to stay here with you. Uh, and he's given her the superhero excuse, basically. He's like, no, no, they're great power and great responsibility. Uh, I can't be with anyone because uh, my enemies will target my anyone I'm with, so uh, I, I'm too dangerous to be
1: around. It's not because I find you creepy.
0: <laughs> she's cute.
1: She is, but she...
0: She is. She's clinging. <laughs>
1: she, yeah, she's but a little like, too much. She is. She is. A,
0: she's very much a type, too, though. Like, th- mm-hmm. this is a char- like a common type of character that you do see in a lot of these movies.
1: Oh, yeah. You but, saved me. And now I. Now I'm in love with you. And yeah, and,
0: and a big anime trope as well And this director is someone who's kind of influential in the anime world Like he did the Space Battleship Yamato series and movies oh, right Yeah um,
1: I haven't seen any of those
0: I've only seen like isolated episodes here and there And then the live action remake from like 10 years ago Which was decent It's a cool um, series anyway
1: I'll have to check them out one of these times
0: Yeah Um, so, uh, Kenka shows up to the bar with some muenos, uh, and Goro stabs him. So they'll have to stop fighting and take him to the hospital. But not enough, like, again, not enough to hurt him badly. It's just like, okay, now you're hurting. They're going to have to take you to the hospital. So this is over now. See ya.
1: (laughs) It's a calm the fuck down stabbing. I love it. Yeah, it was so funny. Calm the fuck down stab. calm the fuck down stab. it's kind (laughs) of his signature move it's kind of great
0: yeah he's not really into killing people unless he really has to or they really have to die
1: or yeah or
0: because sometimes yeah sometimes there's a reason that someone really has to die
1: (laughs) sometimes yes someone later does something
0: yeah so he sympathizes a bit with Yukiko now. Uh, she, she tells him a bit about her background, that her brother is trying to force her to marry someone for financial reasons. And she really doesn't want to do that. So she thinks he's a much better option because he is super hot. He's super cool. He can clearly take care of himself in a fight. Like He seems like a much better package than whatever this guy her brother is trying to get her to marry
1: he's a little emotionally unstable though I find
0: oh yeah he is not stable <laughs> the, uh,
1: to his credit he does try to ward her off repeatedly it's like don't be with me I'm not going to be good for you don't in fact it's basically all he ever says to her
0: yeah for like a handful of scenes and for like a multiple days in the narrative no less like <laughs> every time he sees her it's like listen I am so dangerous, and like the implication is not just <laughs> for the people that he's around, but that he is clearly so emotionally volatile. But
1: it, but I just realize it's coming off like I'm
0: real dangerous. Yeah, I'm exactly. Bad boy. It's all wanna just wanna working for her.
1: Don't take me home to your parents. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, I kind of get where Yukiko's coming from.
0: Yeah, and he's not doing it intentionally. He really is trying to warn her, but like, oh yeah, it's all-
1: he, he doesn't want her to have anything to do with him.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we we get the Mizuhara guys show up, and they're, they're gonna take Goro out in the town. Uh, they they're going to give him their apartment, but he actually gives it to Yukiko. Uh, and decides to just go out partying with them instead. Uh, although. You know, the the partying that they're going to do, initially, it sounds like they're going to have a real rave up and celebrate him being out of jail. And they're going to go to a brothel and they're going to, you know, get crunk. But <laughs> they're so sweet and innocent, they just take him to their favorite restaurant where one of them has a girlfriend who works there.
1: Not, not even a girlfriend, a crush.
0: Just a crush, <laughs> although she's into him too. She
1: All, is, but...
0: Yeah, they they can't admit it yet.
1: She's really bad at being sundere.
0: Yeah, she is not good at it. And and like she she tries it and Goro tries to get the guy to slap her. <laughs> and he's really taken aback by it because again, they're so innocent. This is Takeo. Uh she so she cute. like she makes just a, a fairly mild insult and he's really taken aback, but he almost does it and Goro's like, nah, I'm just joking, guy. Come on. <laughs> Uh, So then they they go to another bar, uh, and this is where he runs into Sugiyama's girl, who uh, has fallen on hard times because the uh, Ueno boss has just not bothered to take care of her at all while her man was in jail, which is, again, part of the Yakuza code that they've just kind of let down. It's it's showing the contrast of how the Uenos are just not a good uh, clan.
1: That's yeah. that's because that is one of the things you're supposed to do. If somebody goes to jail for the clan, um, you have to you take care of theirs. You take care yeah. of their family or whatever.
0: Yeah, exactly. But there's no profit in it for them, so the Uenos just haven't bothered. They've become an overly capitalist band and or, or uh, clan, and and they're just not taking care of their people properly.
1: Like a good villain clan would.
0: Yeah. Or
1: well, like the. The
0: Yakuza is in sort of a weird place in Japan. Like, being a member of the Yakuza was not illegal. Uh, And and it's kind of just... It's sort of a necessary thing. The Yakuza kind of almost kept the peace in places where the police just did not have the manpower to do so in post-war Japan. Uh So, like, they they do have sort of a special gray area where some of them are almost youth outreach organizations at a certain level, I guess. Yeah, like...
1: It's it's not like the street gangs. Like, the Yakuza in Japan are allowed to exist, and they're tolerated, at least, by society.
0: Yeah, and in, I think in, it is to the a same degree. with some, some inner-city gangs as well, to a degree. It's just, you know, obviously there's that fringe area where there is crime involved, and it's just... You know, the, existing in that fringe area is always going to cause a lot of problems, no matter how good someone's intentions might be. Uh-huh. Uh, so, he, Sugiyama's a girl, and I did not catch her name here, uh, but she catches him up on all of this stuff, and, and she's not really angry at him anymore, uh, and and he's kind of more understanding about what happened. Like he agreed with her about everything she said about him because he's very self-effacing all the time. Uh, so at this point, we we get we see Kenka, who the the guy he uh, stabbed to calm down. He he's getting chewed out at the hospital. Uh, we see Takeo go meet with his brother, who's uh, the guy who's with the Uenos.
1: Yeah, yeah, his brother that's this whole thing because his brother is in the oeno clan but he's in the mizuhara clan
0: yeah and I mean, like
1: it's like you get did anybody see you come here you can't be seen here
0: yeah and they have kind of an interesting discussion sort of about what we're talking about here about how important the gangs were to their impoverished childhoods that they just kind of needed them in that sort of the the way they grew up so they're really essential to their lives even though it's sort of caused this weird rift between them because they're in rival gangs yeah, uh, and while they're, having the to... conver- Sorry, while they're having the conversation they're petting a kitten which is great
1: <laughs> yeah a kitten uh,
0: and they almost get into a fight and then the cat meows and it breaks the tension so they just have a drink instead they have some whiskey
1: oh yeah right they've got their weapons drawn and everything
0: and then the cat goes like oh this is silly we're brothers let's have some whiskey
1: and then takeo is telling him about like oh yeah i've I've met this girl she (laughs) hates me but you know she could be the
0: there but she's she's definitely the one for me uh, and then someone shows up to notify the brother uh, about, I, I guess it's about Kenka's stabbing specifically, uh, and that the boss needs uh, needs the brother to go after Goro. Uh, so he, the brother has to tie up to Keo so he can't leave to go warn Goro while he goes after him.
1: Yeah, that I, I thought that was kind of weird. It's like, okay, you're not supposed to be here, so you can't warn him because... That would give away that you're here. Just, you know, stay here. No. Okay, ties him up.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very complicated thing, and like, uh, all right, and it's it's sort of their their relationship is volatile. I guess everyone's relationships are volatile. Every scene yeah. is kind of filled with a lot of conflicting emotions. You do get the impression that this was made for and marketed for a teen audience with just how high the emotions run all the time in every scene so at this point they're trying to go go after goro at the brothel where Sugiyama's girl is. Uh, but like right at this point, he's giving her the money and leaving. Uh, so by the time they get there, he's long gone. Uh, but we get this really cool shot of him walking against the flow of all the normie people walking to work. <laughs> <laughs> so like he's walking into the suburbs and all the suburban people are on their way to do their regular everyday people jobs and he's just walking against the flow of that this is you know matinee idol face just searching amazing uh and of course he's going to see his ex who is now happily married in suburbia uh or or so it seems uh he he's able to spy her but uh she doesn't see him at this point uh, and at oh. this point is where the Uenos go to attack the brothel, but he's long gone, so they abduct Suzuki instead.
1: Oh, which one was he? Oh, he's he's the other uh, Mizuhara friend, not Sangeo, yeah. but the
0: other one. Right. Yeah, the other guy. I think he's either the other guy or he's the guy from the beginning who came to notify him about Sugiyama going. Sugiyama uh, making the hit. Maybe both. It's. But he's he's one of the he's definitely one of the other Mizuhara guys, and we yes. see him a couple times here. But I can't remember exactly uh, all of his appearances. But he he's one of those dudes. Uh-huh. Uh, but Takeo has escaped by this point, so he runs to warn Goro about uh, what's going on, uh, and that uh, his brother's after him, and so forth, and that like the Uenos are on to him.
1: So is this where Goro goes? just goes into their office
0: uh not quite yet or does Uh, he
1: go back home
0: yeah he goes back home and speaks to yukiko again uh she again is about how how much she's stuck on her he's like god you're such a nuisance but also you remind me of my sister and that that's a big deal to me and ultimately, he tells her, like, you have to leave. I I can't do this anymore. You have to leave because there's something I have to go do. And he starts arming himself and she does leave. But then when he gets outside, she's already she's still out there waiting. He's like, I'm not going to leave. I absolutely won't because you're making me leave because you're going to go die. And I won't accept that. So finally, he relents and just gives her the keys back to commit to coming back alive for her. And then yeah. this is when he goes to the Uenos.
1: <laughs> but I'm not sure if that was more like, okay, here's just to shut you up, or if the it's really hard to say.
0: Right. And it's definitely in between. It's it's the, the emotions run really high. And it's like, okay, I'm giving you back the keys because I will commit to this, but uh the who knows what's gonna happen because I'm going into this situation and it's it's going to be dangerous. Uh I really like that the moment he arrives at the ueno's place it starts pouring rain it's a very classic <laughs> samurai duel kind of thing so
1: yeah so he goes in um and to apologize to the boss is what he starts out with
0: mm mm-hmm. and he's like please let suzuki go i take full responsibility for the stabbing
1: and and the boss is like okay yeah i'll hear you out so he so goro does this classic yakuza thing uh he puts the knife, jams it into the boss's desk, puts his finger he puts his pinky hand finger. On his pinky finger. Um and oh just I thought I thought they used a special knife for this, but I guess they don't.
0: Yeah, I guess just his short sword. That, just use the knife that's available.
1: I can't imagine how just oops, I, I how hard how much that would hurt
0: yeah like just how hard that would be to do right because he does it himself yeah he just does it and then he picks it up and he hands it to them too uh and and that's his payment to uh get Suzuki back and they do give him Suzuki back but they've already murdered him so they just give him back his dead body
1: and Goro's like well you have to die now
0: Yeah, he's like, well, I'm going to kill you now. Sorry that that's just the way it breaks. And he does slash his face real good, but he isn't able to kill him immediately. Uh, And then we get
1: wicked villain scar.
0: Yeah, like straight across the whole face. And then this leads to the first big fight sequence of the movie, which is pretty chaotic uh they go into a nearby building which is under construction and the heavy rain has continued so there's just like piles of mud uh and it's the whole gang versus just goro on his own so it's it's quite a melee mm-hmm.
1: it, it kind of reminds me like of how how there's how it's so confined and a lot of it is like the gang falling over themselves it reminds me of that uh the hallway scene from old boy a little bit in that way oh
0: yeah yeah, because like he, yeah, he he has to kind of control the flow of them, and they there is there's a lot of enclosed spaces. They like he he funnels them through doors uh, in a few different places, uh, and he does end up getting stabbed pretty bad in the leg, uh, but then Kenka shows up from the hospital, like still in his hospital gown, in the pouring rain, and he helps him get away, specifically because he wants to be the one to kill him. And and like also just for reasons of it being a more honorable death, but like I, I appreciate that he's like I'm gonna be the one who kills you, so I can't let you go down like this. You you can get out of here.
1: Uh, the classic, no one else can kill you but me.
0: Yeah, you're too hot. Shut. You're too hot to die from these lames. That
1: guy's not gonna kill him though.
0: No, I, I don't <laughs> know if we even see him much after this. I
1: don't know if we do.
0: He might be in the final scene, but I don't recall him after this, honestly. Maybe he's in the sequels. Oh, maybe. Uh also meanwhile, Mizuhara headquarters, the Uenos just come crashing through the wall in a Jeep with shotguns and just oh, yeah. like, they have a fucking <laughs> raid.
1: Yeah, this this stuff doesn't happen much in the game in the Yakuza games. Usually I, it's just people punching with swords. Punching with swords? What? Usually, people punching and swords. There's not a lot of guns in those games. There's a few.
0: Yeah, this but is no, more this like is... this is a Grand Theft Auto sequence. Yeah, right? it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, Takeo's brother is, I think, leading this attack, and he gets directly into a fight with the Mizahara boss, uh, and Takeo has to intervene in the fight, and he lunges and misses, and someone else stabs his brother and kills him. It's a big emotional sequence. Like, he doesn't kill his brother, but as he'll say a little bit later, it's as if he killed him uh, because he was directly involved in the motions of him dying in this moment.
1: Yeah, so he's pretty... uh...
0: He's very broken up about it. He's broken. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, and, and this is sort of like Uh, This is sort of the midpoint of the movie where we've sort of set up all of the stakes for everybody and then the rest of it is kind of knocking down dominoes. Uh, All of this first stuff has been setting up all of the different storylines and stakes for all of these individuals. And then last part, the whole second half, just paying off everything uh, in sometimes very brutal ways. Uh, so, first, we, we get a bunch of people arriving to see Goro now that he's in the hospital because he got stabbed really bad in the leg during that sequence.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so his ex comes to see him to apologize for not waiting. Oh. And and she's totally stuck on him still. Like, she's yeah. she clearly married because she had to Uh, and that she just wasn't sure what was going to happen. But, like, she wants him back. And she's kind of wanting him to ask her to take him back.
1: Clearly, yeah. But she's. Uh, uh, well, then those shows up. He's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. This is <laughs> she where just you shows, go, up, shows up." And he's
0: like, "Oh yeah, this is my wife now." <laughs> Which she's not, but she's immediately willing. She's like, "Oh yeah, totally. I'm absolutely." Yeah, yeah, as well. yeah.
1: I, I definitely love this man, Goro last name.
0: Yeah, she, she's. She's totally willing to uh, uh, take on the responsibility. I mean, I was like, yes, this is this is I I'm his wife. You know it for sure. Uh, and they finally kiss here. It's the first time they kiss.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I just imagine it's like, so we're definitely married now, right? Uh, no, I just said that to get rid of my actual almost wife.
0: He yeah, does pretty we much we commit. Married, to her, he, he really yeah, does. He does.
1: Because uh, well, the rest as of the, much as he commits to anybody
0: as much as he can commit given his lifestyle like he, he's yeah. he's like uh he's like de Niro in heat, you know <laughs> he has to be ready to drop anything the moment the heat comes around the corner I,
1: that's another one i haven't
0: seen oh man, we gotta watch that movie that is one of the greatest action movies of all time, like all easy right. five stars okay. uh, and sometimes hilariously over the top, like Pacino's performance in that. (laughs) There's a scene where he yells at, uh, uh, what's his name? He's, he's a big Simpsons voice guy. Uh, Harry Shearer, I think, I think there's a scene with Harry Shearer and it's him yelling at him about, uh, someone having a big, has a great ass. It's just, it's incredible. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So also Takeo shows up with his brother's remains uh, and he tells uh, about how he's planning to take them to uh, his hometown to bury him. Uh, and this this gets into a whole thing about hometowns that really yeah, kind of echoes this, through the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, the idea is that if you have something that you consider a hometown, you can't be a real Yakuza.
0: Yeah, and like Yakuza need to be uh, without a place of origin. Yakuza are orphans.
1: Uh, yeah, which is why... Which
0: so is... he's like, yeah, you have to go back there and stay, Takeo. He's like, you can't come back. You shouldn't be a part of the gang. You've got a hometown and you need to stay there. You've already lost your brother. Just stay there. Never come back. Uh, and he really does convince him. Uh, so Takeo goes oh, yeah, to talk gonna to yeah, he's going to go now. He's like, yeah. Yeah, I, like... You don't say no when when Goro convinces you with a thing. he He's a persuasive talker. Uh, so he goes to the restaurant to say goodbye to kimiko, uh, the 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 lady behind the counter. Uh, and she leaves with them, and they kind of have a sweet romance. they for for a little bit they they finally admit to each other how they feel uh, and find that both of them do mutually feel the same way. and it, it is very sweet.
1: Mm-hmm. And then they uh, they decide. Okay, well, I'm gonna run away with you.
0: Yeah, I I'll come come to your hometown too. There's nothing keeping me in the city. Uh, and like her dad is the guy who runs the restaurant. He's like, just go with him. Uh, there you, I I can manage this place by myself. It's better that you get out of this city with all these crazy yakuza. Uh, and then they're on the train platform, and she she leaves him very briefly to just uh, go walk down the platform to get a boxed lunch for them for the train.
1: And just in the background, we see, as all this is, like, she's getting the thing. It kind of echoes the, the fight from the beginning. Yeah. From almost the beginning. How five or six guys swarm over to KO and all of this is like in the background, kind of out of focus. And then they leave and he just starts stumbling.
0: And as he's stumbling we see blood start to hit the ground. Yeah. Uh as and he's
1: just walking towards her
0: and reaching out and he collapses and yeah, he he's been assassinated uh by Presumably the Uenos. I, I don't think the Mizuhara would do that for him leaving.
1: No, no. Uh,
0: they they don't not, seem like the not type. Not those
1: guys. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Uh,
0: and meanwhile, what we're seeing uh, during this scene, like intercut with this, is that the gang leaders, both Mizuhara and Ueno, are having a conference over all of the recent bullshit.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they've got in a third clan as like a mediator,
0: yeah, and um, and they do to come kill. to an agreement,
1: like a peace treaty. It's uh it's unfavorable for Mizuhara, but Mizuhara's like, okay, whatever. I just want to stop my guys getting killed all the time.
0: Yeah, and it's super unfavorable because the 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 agreement means that Goro has to leave the clan, and Goro is pretty OP, so that's that is a big loss. Uh huh. Uh, and so, the boss is pretty broke up about it too when he goes to see. Uh, Goro
1: he's broke up but he's also the way he says it is like well you're out of the clan so you can do whatever you want now wink wink
0: (laughs) yeah and he gives him a gun although he's (laughs) like no I I don't want a gun Uh, listen now that I'm free I have something to do that has nothing to do with you Uh, although you know it's kind of related to his interests ultimately
1: (laughs) yeah like I've got my own Unrelated errand In Not the Ueno headquarters
0: (laughs) Yeah It's not necessarily Your chief rival that I definitely Plan on murdering but You know there's just some stuff I have to do And you're not directly involved in it So uh, we'll just keep that a secret (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And meanwhile as well Sugiyama has been paroled uh, because he's too sick to be in jail with his tuberculosis.
1: Yeah. And he finds out the the Ueno boss does not give a shit about him.
0: No, he does not give the slightest shit. Uh, and it's he, he goes to air his grievances to the boss. Like, you let my woman end up a prostitute while i was in jail you you uh totally did not follow through on the code how can any of you support this boss who doesn't support any of you uh and the guy boss is like i'm sorry you're useless now because you're sick so they're they it's just not worth as worth any money to give you any upkeep uh which yeah i mean like Truly, I, I don't understand why anyone, any of the underlings would still be with him.
1: Yeah, that's that's the thing I don't get. It's like, the actors have got to unionize.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, they've well, all got... They they've all kind got, of are a union. They're sort of a union themselves, and they've got weapons. They've yeah. only got the one boss. <laughs> if yeah. their boss is being bullshit, I mean, it's it's a real easy job to take him down uh well oh,
1: they seem to like him good enough probably because they're assholes why? too
0: yeah i guess they do seem to all just be a bunch of assholes too that that does seem to be part of it and uh, actually this is a little bit later because first we see goro meet sugiyama uh before he goes to see his boss oh, right yes because he gives sugiyama his severance pay uh like the the quote-unquote severance pay uh that his boss gave him for having to leave the clan uh because he's not the, willing to this take is pay. not a hit money exactly uh and he's like well i can't accept this it's not allowed for me to skip take this so i'm going to give this to Sugiyama, who i owe uh because you know i i stabbed him and put him in jail and uh, ruined his girlfriend's life for a few years uh so he's like listen you take this money i want you to take your girlfriend and yukiko take them both to your hometown and uh i've got a few important things to take care of wink wink
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah then they get on the train and here i think is where sugiyama's like i have an important thing to take care of too. wink wink
0: yeah uh so he's like well it's it's sort of a combination of things so he Goes to meet the boss and he gets all this stuff where he's told that he's useless. And he also hears that they're still going to go after Goro, even though he's no longer with the clan and he's uh, effectively retired from the business. So he's like, "Okay, I guess I'll give the money to the women and send them ahead and I'm going to stay behind and help Goro slash warn him.
1: Right. That's what it was.
0: It's very complicated. There's a whole lot of back and forth with the train station in this this area of the movie.
1: Ultimately, the girls do get on the train. Gorō walks with them for a bit.
0: Yeah, so like Sugiyama gives Gorō back the money, uh and he says like, "Listen, the gang owes me. So I'll be able to deal with it. Don't don't even worry about it. I'm going to take care of everything. You go on the train with the girls." Uh and he Goes home and the Uenos just show up at his house and murder him.
1: Right. Yes, the, the Uenos murder Sugiyama.
0: And... and it's brutal. Like it's quite brutal. He gets a few hits in. I don't know if he actually takes out anyone, but like they they just brutally murder him. Uh-huh. Uh and like Goro's trying to figure out what's taking him so long so he's leaving the station to go find out uh, and tells the women to get seated on the train and they get seats and while he's leaving he hears about the murder on a radio
1: that's what it was yeah yeah and then he tells the girls oh sugiyama's gonna be a bit
0: He's like, me and Sugiyama, we're going to be a bit late. We're going to catch a morning train. And he gives them the money and like, we'll we'll catch you tomorrow morning. You guys go on ahead. And finally the train leaves and he's like, all right, revenge time. We're, we're doing this.
1: Yeah, so I think here's where he goes to to the Ueno base again.
0: No, uh, this time it's a nightclub. Uh, <gasps> oh, the, the boss yes, is at yes, this the... cool nightclub.
1: Yeah, the boss is at a nightclub um being shitty there's this uh he's just being rude as
0: hell to uh the the people who work at the bar
1: and i should point out um because i remember i because i said this in the voice chat i was like uh there's only about five minutes left of movie and the big fight that you know is coming hasn't happened yet Mm -hmm. Uh, what's gonna happen here how's this gonna play out
0: and it's very stylish, like I would say That's it is really certainly good. the most stylish sequence in the movie, just with the way they use sound.
1: Uh-huh. So what, I, I don't remember so much the specifics of what happens, just how it's pre- presented. Is yeah. The only sound, like there's no sound effects from the fighting, you don't hear Goro or anybody else yowling at each other. You just see intercut, um, the woman singing the nightclub song, Mm-hmm. and uh this like kind of jazz number
0: or yeah is it
1: jazz jazz yeah, it's it's
0: jazzies for sure it's it's like sort of sixties vocal jazz,
1: yeah, um, and that's the only sound that you hear while they're while the, he's beating up these guys and getting beat up by these guys.
0: Yeah, so like initially he corners the boss in the bathroom of the nightclub uh, and then all of the guys kind of pile into the bathroom after them when they realize the boss has been away for a bit and just the fight spills out into the street.
1: Yeah, and and it ends up being like a full five or six minutes.
0: Yeah, it it just kind of goes hard.
1: But uh, it's so interesting because it feels like the fight is happening in the background the lack of sound effects make actually made it really hard for me to follow.
0: Yeah. And Which it's also, fine. again, it's a long <laughs> I thought shot. It was really cool. Like it's a long yes. shot and, uh, with, with them with some distance. So you do see all of the motion. Uh, and it's, it's dark, like it's in the street. It's there. He's stumbling down a dark alley. Uh, he does get stabbed a few times, although he totally does kill the boss real hard. Oh yeah. Uh, and, it, it it ends very ambiguously, like he stumbles down an alley, he's been stabbed a few times, and you see all of the faces of uh, the various characters who've died throughout the film, like the people who've been lost. So oh. it sort of suggests that he's going to die, even though this is based on a true story about a guy who wrote his memoirs and all of that stuff. It's interesting.
1: And there's about five more movies.
0: Although there weren't at this time, of course.
1: True. He c- Yeah. Yeah, he could he could have died at the end of that. We wouldn't know if he, <laughs> if they said he did, I'd be like, yeah, sounds right. Cuz it just ends. It doesn't even cut to credits if I recall. It just ends. Yeah,
0: it just says the end. Like we we had opening credits, so there are no closing credits.
1: Yeah, yeah, it just ends like on him just wounded walking away through an alleyway. Yeah. With rain, with rain, with rain. With rain
0: necessarily. Very, very big uh, component of this movie is Rainy Streets. Very cool looking. Uh, and yeah, that's that's it. Uh, it's a really good movie. I quite yeah, like I it.
1: Really, yeah, I, I, this is definitely another one I'm going to watch more in this series.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, in, in terms of like the extras, there's not a whole lot specific to this movie. I didn't watch the big documentary on here because it's uh, pertinent to the entire series. Uh, Uh, So I didn't watch that yet, but the commentary track is decent, uh, mostly just talking about all of the other credits of everyone involved, which was pretty interesting because everyone here had a lot of a career like this. This movie is pretty influential and launched a lot of people, Uh, but not a lot of analysis of the film, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, this movie, now that I've seen it, I realize this movie is another one of those ones that influenced a lot of stuff I've seen over the years.
0: Oh, definitely,
1: yeah. Like, um, like notably, of course, the Yakuza games, but like, it's, it's similar in some ways to the Yakuza games stylistically. Only it's missing the giant baby men and the dominatrixes, and um, you know. But otherwise, you know, it's very similar uh, in terms of style and tone to the Yakuza video games.
0: Yeah, it's uh I love probably. Those games. It's probably, like, one of the chief texts that they draw upon. Like, I, I, and I, I, both the movies and probably Goro's real memoirs.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's a major character in the games who's named Goro. I yeah. can't help but think that's a reference,
0: though. He's it's gotta be,
1: Nothing right? like this guy. They're, <laughs> they're not the same guy.
0: Is he much darker? Because I've seen a lot of uh, Watari's later films where he becomes... A much darker Yakuza character In a lot of films Uh, Well, Goro Majima Uh, No, Goro
1: Majima Is an eyepatch Yakuza Who's kind of just Batshit crazy And depending on the game He's he's either a ruthless Villain or A comic relief character Um, Always dangerous But sometimes hilarious
0: Okay, interesting
1: um, he's sort of like the the official, the self proclaimed rival to the hero character. He's rarely evil, but he's often against. Uh, sometimes he's an against him. Sometimes, yeah.
0: If not the villain. He,
1: yeah. He he goes against him, but sometimes he's also teams up with him. They they end up respecting each other a lot. But it's like, okay, in this game I'm against you, in that game I'm using my i'm I'm building a construction company to make an apartment building and uh you can help me out by playing tower defense cool (laughs) (laughs) it's like how sometimes mario has to kill bowser and sometimes he goes go-karting with him
0: yeah sometimes they're tennis partners it's
1: or or how sometimes goro uh has to kill sukiyama and sometimes they're best buds
0: Or how McNulty and Bodie just, like, hung out in the park that one time and just kind of shot the shit. (laughs) That's
1: a Wire reference. Yeah. For those who don't know, The Wire. Very good. (laughs) Watch it. It's not overrated. Good
0: show. Not overrated.
1: Somehow. It's as good as everyone says it is.
0: Uh, So any final thoughts on uh, Outlaw Gangster VIP before we talk about what is replaced with?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, he's an outlaw and a gangster, but does he ever get into the VIP lounge?
0: Yeah, I, I feel like he is a very important person because as soon as he's out of jail, everybody in the world is obsessed with him.
1: Oh, yeah, you know what? He could have gotten into the, <laughs> the VIP lounge if he asked for it.
0: Yeah, like, he's hot. They would have let him in. Like, they that's didn't the kind of have to know he, he was an yourself. outlaw
1: gangster. You could just look at him and he's like, that's a VIP. Yeah. Regardless of whether he's an outlaw or a gangster
0: Absolutely Uh, So For the next film To replace it in this deck Since this is a box set uh, We choose if the next one will be The next film in this set Or uh, the next thing under it Is Takashi Miike uh, Terraformars Uh Uh, And that's Mars Because it's them terraforming Mars uh, it's it's basically Takeshi Mike's take on Starship Troopers, uh, a bunch of space ex- explorers head to Mars to terraform it and they have to fight a bunch of giant anthropomorphic cockroaches. And so, it's based on a manga series.
1: So I always and I swear I'm probably going to ask this every time one of them <laughs> comes up in the podcast, but is Shouldn't that beat Takeshi or the other one?
0: The other one. So he's the guy who did Audition, Dead or Alive, um, uh, Black Society. You, you've seen the Dead or Alive movies. Oh, yeah.
1: Movies. I, I've yeah. seen the Dead or Alive movies. That Yeah. That first one, the ending, oh my
0: god.
1: <laughs> and so, the opening.
0: The incredible opening when oh, the. With the noodles! The noodles, exactly.
1: Oh guy my explodes. goodness. Uh, okay, well, that movie's got to be a trip, but. I don't want to. I don't want to close the book on the outlaw gangster series, though.
0: Well, of course. It, the The thing is, it's it's a choice of what we're going to do next. So oh, it's okay. it's never we're we're done with it. It would just be it moves down in the stacks, and this would take priority first.
1: Okay. Well, let's uh, let's put the cockroach thing on top then.
0: All right. And we'll shuffle this down a little please. bit. We'll come back. Absolutely. All right, uh, so I think that's it for our first part, and uh, we'll head on in to part two. Okay, so for our second movie, we are covering the 80s Stephen King adaptation Silver Bullet, uh, based on his novelette, uh, as it says in the opening credits, Cycle of the Werewolf. Uh, This one was a comic book, I think, (laughs) like part comic book. I have a copy of it kicking around here. Uh, it's it was like half illustrated, so it feels it ha- comic booky. It definitely feels pretty comic booky, like the the whole Corey Haim character and idea with his super wheelchair.
1: Yeah, that's uh that's that's definitely a comic booky or eighties kid um, kid hero special precocious good happy kid movie person.
0: Thing. yeah even though this one is distinctly Stephen Kingy and is yeah. a bit harsher than those it's still funny like it's got that sort of 80s blockbuster comic energy in a lot of weird ways
1: it's got that weird like it's it still kind of looks and feels like a family movie
0: yeah Despite, much like Under the Stairs not, our previous Everett McGill picture
1: Well, yeah kind of yeah even though the subject matter is very dark, um, I don't. I think one person drops an F bomb in this.
0: Yeah, maybe. And it's also pretty star-studded. Like you've got Corey Haim as your central kid character, which is you know fairly big. This was Corey Haim, peak of his powers, I would say. Uh, and you've got Gary Busey as his uncle, and oh man, Gary Busey is great in this.
1: I wonder if he was really drunk the whole time because, like, Some of he those to get a character. I, he must have been. <laughs> the,
0: the, the scene where he's uh, chanting about baseball and drinking just, like, a bottle of wild turkey. <laughs> I could oh, buy with... him being genuinely drunk in that scene.
1: Oh, where they're playing cards and the mother's, like, desperately trying to get the kid to bed?
0: Yeah, and he's like, piss on the... Pizan, Pisan looks a whole bunch of different team names good yeah stuff. <laughs> yeah, I
1: couldn't follow what they were talking about I don't yeah I, I bet he was drunk for that
0: it's It's believable and it's,
1: or it's he's a, a very very good actor
0: he is a very, very good actor i I don't know at what point this is uh at at some point in the eighties, Gary Busey had a pretty significant motorcycle accident, uh and he seems to have gotten a bit of brain damage from that motorcycle accident there's a bit of a line between his character actor performances and his post-motorcycle unhinged performances and it's sort of hard to draw a line because his character actor performances did tend toward pretty wild like that's just sort of the characters he played but they got much wilder afterward And I'm not sure where in the timeline this exactly fits, but the whole drunk guy and making the super motorcycle wheelchair uh, does sort of put it in my mind when I watch the movie.
1: Yeah, this guy's this character is weird.
0: He's an odd character. (laughs)
1: Like we're supposed to believe he's just this giant loser, but here he is like inventing He's inventing a
0: super wheelchair. Like, Like he he hybridized a wheelchair with, like, a high-quality motorcycle. He put this engine into it. It has all these pipes. It's wild.
1: Like, he's got to be able to make money doing that.
0: You would think so. He seems to be some sort of low-level genius of some kind.
1: But the movie portrays him, and all the characters treat him as just this sad drunk.
0: Yeah, like his uh, the kid's mom tries to warn him off and is like, listen, I don't want you coming here and uh, drinking around my kid anymore. It's like, this kid loves me. I'm the only th- the fun he has in his life because uh, with him being in the wheelchair, you just treat him as nothing but a kid in a wheelchair. And they have this really passionate argument about it.
1: Plus also alcohol is the source of his power.
0: It seems to be the source of his power, much like spinach powers Popeye. Uh So like this This one has a bit more of a distinct plot That can be followed Than some of our other second features That we've talked about in a little bit (laughs) Yeah Uh, This is a werewolf story uh, And spoiler alert Obviously but Everett McGill Is our werewolf He's the priest in the small I think it's a Maine town It must be Maine right It's not Castle Rock
1: (laughs) It's got to be somewhere in Maine Where else would it be?
0: Yeah and and I mean like it's rural it feels like I I know they do mention the name of the town but I can't pull it from my brain right now. I've seen this movie so many times over the years like it's I Maine saw this town. when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, it's in Maine, Maine. So Everett McGill is the priest in the town and he has become a werewolf at some point. Uh, before the opening sequence, or the the opening scene, before the opening credits, we get this guy beheaded. We get a really great decapitation on the train tracks.
1: <laughs> yep, just uh, he's going down the train tracks, and then suddenly you just see a head flying through the sky.
0: Yeah, it's great. Just uh, and the the werewolf swiped his head off, and I guess. After killing him, he poses the body to make it look like possibly the train went over him instead of it being werewolf. Yeah, because that's what they think happens, which doesn't make any th- goddamn th- sense.
1: No, the, the body would be so much more mangled than that.
0: Yeah, and the head was just like swiped off, and he's got all sorts of werewolf claw marks all over him. It's absurd.
1: Oh, well, those are from the uh, werewolf claw train gears. I mean it's almost
0: mayor from jaws kind of stuff like listen we've, we've got an important fall fair coming around we, we can't shut down the town just because of a werewolf
1: <laughs> oh my god okay so the very first thing i ever saw in this movie because i hadn't seen it before was <laughs> the menu where it's just gary Busey talking to this kid and what does he say something like so let me get this straight this guy Kills your best friend. Drives your best girl out of town. And now he's canceling the only carnival you got. Is that going to be the whole plot of the movie. And it kinda,
0: is. Kind of. Kind of is. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, so what we initially get is we, we're we're introduced to uh, Corey Haim and his sister, who is really resentful of having this brother in a wheelchair that she has to deal with all the time. Uh, and who the parents kind of will always take his side uh-huh. and they're, they're like doing this thing in the park and his friend is a complete fucking turd.
1: Oh yeah. This, this kid sucks.
0: This is Paul. I think Paul uh, Brady, Brady. Yeah. Uh,
1: and so Brady's he, got this snake. Yeah. And and he uh, hides up in a tree and then dangles the snake down to scare the sister who falls into the mud and completely blames a uh, wheelchair boy for this, even though, like, he was what just wheelchair boy passively just
0: standing by.
1: There. Yeah. What could he have done? Climb up the tree after him? Like Exactly. And, and the kid, okay, this is, I, I'm not on the sister's side here because the kid is legitimately apologetic. Like, he yeah. really is sorry that this thing He's happened so to his sorry. sister. sorry.
0: And and she is not having it, but like, I kind of think the sister character, maybe they overjudged and they made her too unsympathetic and too mean because she's so mad at him all the time for very little reason. And I think they were trying to do a thing here that just didn't work out where they were trying to show the family dynamic of one kid who's in a wheelchair and the other one is kind of put off by the extra attention he gets.
1: Yeah, it do- I don't think it lands.
0: It really doesn't land, and I think that's why they added the terrible voiceover, because the sister narrates oh, the film narration. from some time <laughs> in the distant future as like a seventy-year-old. Like she must be doing a, a voiceover from like twenty forty, because this movie takes place at the time it's made.
1: So, so she's she's going Titanic.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre. She's
1: she's just going to drop the uh, wheelchair into the sea.
0: It's been 84 years. <laughs> it's so bizarre. And it's a terrible voiceover. Like, none of it fits. And it doesn't impart any actual knowledge. It's weird.
1: It's mostly it is just trying to justify why the sister's acting this way.
0: It really is like it's it's to give her an extra dimension that I I guess they just weren't able to give it when they were making it initially.
1: They could have. Yeah, there's a few other ways they could have done it. They could have even just painted it like teenage girls get pissed off over things. Teenagers do that. That's what happens. They could have painted it that way. And I would have believed that. Yeah.
0: Because ultimately, they do more or less make up. They team up later on. They're working together, uh, and they they overcome their differences. I I just feel like I they feel like tried they to overcome
1: it kind of too easily. They considering did. how much of a jerk she the being, sister is.
0: Yeah, she was really she's quite a pill at the beginning, and and I do think that that's why they created this voiceover to try to soften that, but it doesn't really work because uh, no. it's not a good voiceover either. Uh, so I, I think, uh, I, I don't remember exactly the sequence of events, but, uh, there's a couple killings. Uh, we, we, there's this, while they're at the park, the sister also sees these two people breaking up. Uh, and one of them is like, this lady tells her boyfriend that she's pregnant, uh, but he is like he's breaking up with her, and it's not enough to stop him, and and she's pretty distraught about it.
1: Yes. S- no. No. Not my kid. Not my kid. There's nobody else it could be. Nope. Not dealing with this.
0: Yep. Yeah, and and he's out of there, and so the sister witnesses this. She's just kind of lurking in yeah. the bushes, uh, and it's. I I guess she witnesses this so that there's some justification for later that she knows about. Some of the background with the werewolf and why yeah, he does. Yeah,
1: but the thing is, the werewolf's motives never become known to the sister, and what the sister sees here never becomes known to the person who the werewolf tells his motives to. So it doesn't, another thing that doesn't quite work.
0: Well, I assume that she talks to her brother about some of it, but there are a lot of gaps. There's so much stuff. Well, like, there's a sequence where we see Everett McGill's dream sequence
1: oh yeah that uh, so, doesn't get touched on again
0: well not only does that not get touched on again why is that in a movie that's narrated as someone telling a story about their own past <laughs> She's not the At one who has the dream point,
1: i heard i imagine he probably had a dream where he probably was, had where a really everybody was turning kid. into a werewolf and went after him after he did a not-that-great sermon where he was nervous. This is what I imagine happened. I'm yeah. sure it did.
0: It it definitely happened. I'm sure he had nightmares about everybody else being a werewolf when, in fact, he was the werewolf. <laughs> weird. There There's a lot of weird things about the The voiceover clearly was like triage, something that they put in last minute, and it does not work at all.
1: It, it works fine if you don't think about it. <laughs> I guess at, so. at all.
0: It really bugs me. It, it bugs me not only because it doesn't work, but because it's pretty crappy. It's just it's, a bad voiceover that serves no purpose. Like it, so, it, it never uh, informs anything.
1: Yeah. So, so the lady who just got her boyfriend broke up with her. Uh, she's it's nighttime. She's taking all these pills. Um, Obviously she's planning to kill herself And Then well she doesn't get the chance to Because a werewolf does it for
0: her Werewolf comes like flying through the Window of her house like through her Second floor window uh, And tears her up Uh, And you know notably This is a pregnant woman which we'll find Out or which she We've already heard about uh, And it, it does sort of increase the stakes For the town Yeah Um, Uh, And then shortly after this Now everybody's like There's something crazy going on in this town Although I think the cops Are still calling it just An animal attack, right? Is this where
1: Second Amendment Andy comes in?
0: Mm, The the mutton chop guy? No, I think that's after uh, The death of Brady
1: Oh, right, yeah, no This is because Only one Two people have died yet, and one of them didn't even have a name.
0: Right. Uh, but s- Brady's death comes up pretty soon. So, like, uh, Corey well, Hames' buddy, Brady, and, like, they're hanging out, and he's, like, flying a kite. Very—I don't know. There's something creepy about this kid. He seems creepy as he's just <laughs> flying this kite and ignoring his friend while they're like, you know, we should probably— not be hanging out here. And it's just this really ominous shot of him flying his kite. And it's supposed to be ominous because he's clearly in danger of being eaten by a werewolf by being alone outside at night. But it oh. just seems like it's creepy showing him flying a kite and being a weirdo. <laughs>
1: well, we, we skipped something. Uh, Corey okay. Haynes' girlfriend's oh, yeah. drunk-ass dad uh, right. gets killed, too.
0: That's because... Right.
1: He... Because he walks his girlfriend home. Yeah. Um, this is, I think, just before they, they do the curfew thing.
0: Yeah, and the dad is just an unbelievable asshole.
1: He's... Um, there's a very specific person that he reminds me of, like a character. Um, I can't think of who it is. But he, he's got the wife beater on with, like, the sweat stains and all that. He's got the gross mustache. Um... He hears growling in his shed and he well, figures... First,
0: first, when Corey Haim goes to drop the girlfriend off, he's really rude to him and he doesn't want his daughter hanging out with him because he's crippled uh, is, is oh, exactly God, what right. he says. It's like, what? What is she going to do? Catch having... <laughs> having, being paraplegic? What the hell, dude? It's Unbelievable.
1: That's okay. He dies soon.
0: He dies very quickly. He gets yeah, shredded. so
1: he, he figures, I guess, um, link from The Legend of Zelda is going and smashing all the pots in his shed again, yep. so he gets his shotgun uh, or his rifle or whatever, loaded with salt. He's, he just wants to hurt whoever's doing it. He's not aiming to kill anybody. But, yeah. you know, he's still going to shoot you with a gun. yeah, uh, goes into the thing, predictably gets murdered.
0: yeah, shredded by werewolf in in like his greenhouse uh and Shreds. so and so the girlfriend has to leave town so now like the, this is from the 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 Gary Busey quote you were saying yeah ran his girlfriend out of town here uh and then next on the chopping block is brady uh yeah. and we don't see the brady kill but we see the aftermath of it which is kind of hilarious if kind i'm being of. honest
1: it's so so they, they're like, to go and. So the sister takes uh, Corey Haim home, and Brady's like, no, I'm going to stay out here and be weird. Yeah, and that's I'm the gonna, last we see of him.
0: I'm going to continue flying my flag. And there's like an ominous shot of them driving away. And it's like, I don't know if we should leave him out here alone. And then ew, we get like. The, the sun's going down And then there's like a smash cut And the deputy is just walking with a balloon Covered in blood
1: <laughs> Oh yeah yeah The guy's kite is covered in blood Well the kite
0: not not a balloon Yeah he's got the kite yeah. and it's all bloody uh, And he's just uh, Brady is just shredded to bits In the gazebo
1: Yeah and he, here his father Comes in and he's got a scene That's actually kind of reminiscent Of the one from Precinct 13 yeah, that one's a lot better.
0: That, that one, is that a guy, lot can lot Yeah, the, the guy in precinct That 13, guy made me feel despair.
1: Actor. This guy made me feel like this, this guy's acting funny. Is so unbelievable.
0: Like, he My goes. Son
1: was torn apart.
0: Well, that's the second part of it. At this point, like they uncover the body so he can see it, and the deputy very like. He, he does not try very hard to stop him from going to see the body. Don't go there. No, oh, don't. No, oh, I don't. Be able to, you, it's gonna be bad. It's okay, gonna well, be I bad. well. uh, and he just he does a really big reaction, and like it would be a big reaction, but it is the most <laughs> insanely huge reaction anyone has ever had, and it's it, it's it it's help comical. He's
1: almost dressed like the guy. That looks like Homer Simpson that goes into the bar.
0: He Yeah, he looks like Guy Incognito mixed with uh, the guy whose head gets blown up at the start of Scanners. He, oh, he, looks, like, yeah. he looks like the midpoint between those. Uh, and we, we kind of do get very much a Jaws scene with him uh, shortly after that. And this is where we get the guy who's at the bar and they're they're all gearing up to go on a werewolf hunt.
1: Yeah, yeah, Second Amendment Andy and his posse.
0: And he's like, uh, police aren't going to do anything about this. We're going to have to go out there and hunt this werewolf ourselves. And the uh, cop's
1: like, no, that's bad. It's against the law to do that.
0: Yeah, and he, he does a whole speech about how it's important to follow the rule of law and stuff, but he really isn't doing anything, and he's not providing enough He has and really done nothing.
1: Yeah, so, and then, the so Second Amendment, Andy is yelling at the cop, and then the dad, Man Incognito, is like, shut up, my son was torn to shreds, it's, blah, 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 he goes on and just whips up this gang.
0: It's completely the Mrs. Kintner scene from Jaws, uh, where she's talking about how her son was eaten by the shark, like, it's almost the exact same sequence, just done much worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he gets them all riled up, and they go out on a werewolf hunt, which obviously does not go well for any of them.
1: Yeah, the the Reverend is all like, like, stop! You can't do this! Don't do this! Don't don't go and do this thing.
0: And I think this is his introduction, more or less, right? Actually,
1: yeah. This well, we see the Reverend giving a sermon for Brady first. And oh yes,
0: this, that's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: So um they the posse all goes out into the woods and they're aside from second amendment andy none of these guys knows how to use guns or be a posse no like we've got an old man like i'm cold and i'm hungry
0: and someone steps in a leg hold trap pretty quickly
1: oh yeah right (laughs) yeah that happens right away
0: these idiots stumbling around in the woods, hurting each other, and obviously they, all, they do not provide any assistance to this werewolf hunt, and uh, they get attacked pretty quickly. Uh, I think four or five of them get shredded by the werewolf this night.
1: Yeah, this is the one where it's like he's hiding in the fog, so you still can't yes. quite see the werewolf.
0: Yeah, we, we don't get a really good look at the werewolf until like concluding scenes of the movie, basically. Yeah,
1: almost the end yeah i think after this is where we get the nightmare scene
0: yeah where where he's giving the <laughs> the, the sermon, sermon
1: for the like the five guys are like well um i know uh words don't really mean a lot these days and i can't provide a lot of comfort and i'm just like oh god this must be so tough for you
0: it's really and, bombing
1: and then meanwhile, Man Incognito comes up and is like, Don't you understand? My son was ripped to shreds. <laughs> and, and then and then they all start turning into werewolves, and uh this is no uh American werewolf in London.
0: No. Uh the, it does not do the effects anywhere near as well. <laughs> um So at, I mean at this up, point it's like Yeah. At, at this point, but to me, at least, it's always been pretty obvious that, like, well, he's obviously the werewolf. Why else oh, would yeah. he have a dream that everybody else is the werewolf? I mean, like, we, we've barely been introduced to this guy. Why would we have this sequence for any other
1: reason? Well, how I knew he was the werewolf is like, this is the first time we've seen him. We're about halfway through the movie, and he has second billing on the credits.
0: Yeah, that too. Well, so and also he, it's Everett he's Miguel. not
1: a hero, he's the werewolf.
0: It's it's Everett McGill playing big. I mean, he he's, he plays his villains big. <laughs> he,
1: he he does a great one. A great villain speech later.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, So at this point, the brother and sister, uh, Corey Haim and his sister, I cannot remember either of the characters' names. Uh, Jane and... Corey. <laughs>
1: Corey Haim.
0: Corey Haim. Uh, they're... They start to look into this like they're going to crack this thing because, you know, they're plucky 80s kids. And uh, Gary Busey, after the funeral, shows up with the rocket wheelchair, which I guess we haven't talked about that much yet. It's like, I'm really sorry, your friend died. Here's a rocket wheelchair.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Corey Haynes is over his friend's death pretty quickly, actually. It's like, yeah, well, he was kind of a dick. So I got a rocket wheelchair. Yay.
0: I mean, rocket wheelchair versus Brady, I take the rocket wheelchair. Brady's pretty oh, yeah. shitty.
1: <laughs> Brady sucks. Um, but I think there's one I think just before this they go to drive to the fairground to find out that it's closed down and oh, yeah he's just like, "Oh man, that sucks. The fair is closed." And then the sister just launches into this thing like, "Oh my god, Corey. Corey Hain doesn't get what he wants holy shit stop the presses and she just goes off and it's like dude he just was a little bummed that the thing was closed also his best friend died
0: yeah but and again it's one of these sequences like maybe it would have been better to just reshoot a bit of that or take her overreaction down a little bit rather than adding all of this terrible voiceover to soften her
1: Yeah, so then Gary Busey, since he can't do fireworks at the fair, Gary Busey gives him his own fireworks. And it's like, right. it's like well, stay near the house, stay near the house, because, you know, there's a serial murderer ripping people to shreds and all that.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty good advice, I would say. Uh, but, but he, he doesn't follow it. He doesn't follow it, and he just goes uh, out playing with uh, the the cool fireworks that his uncle gave him. And it's a good thing that he had the fireworks on him because, uh, the werewolf starts coming for him. Uh, and he, he is, he's able to escape the werewolf because he fires a bottle rocket and gets it right in the eye.
1: And then drives away on the super wheelchair.
0: Yeah. He, he gets to, cause the, the, the super wheelchair can go like 60 miles per hour.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, like it can, <laughs> this thing can't be street legal. He's driving it down the roads. If there were any real cops in this town, he'd get pulled over so fast.
0: It was the 80s, though. <laughs> That's true. He was a get away 80s with 80s kid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so now, obviously, they have a way to identify the werewolf, even though they're the only ones who believe it's a werewolf at this point. They know that it's going to be someone who only has one eye now. So, so- the sister, please go ahead.
1: So here's where the sister is just like, OK, I'm on your side now. Just forget about all this irrational hatred that I have for you.
0: Well, like he comes and tells her the story. And he's like I, I need someone to believe me. And she knows that even though she doesn't like him all that much and finds him a pain in the ass and he kind of gets more attention than she does. He's never been a liar, I guess. So this is like, well, I we guess I kind of have the to voiceover
1: tells us this. Right, <laughs> the movie doesn't, but the voiceover does.
0: Because they they had to do something with the sister character, I guess. After presumably test audiences were were not enthused. Uh, I, there there's clearly something with like it, it does seem like a lot of the the voiceover was just to correct issues with that character and the way she reacts. But he tells her about the thing and how. I, I think this is already when he's been run off the road by him. Nope. No, nope, No, no, that's yet. right. Because they that's after she does her bottle
1: drive. Yeah, she's doing the bottle right. drive to see if anybody's missing an eye lately.
0: Yeah, and she goes through the whole town. And some of the things she does seem like someone would slap her, like when she takes that guy's hot towel off in the barbershop. Yeah. And it's it's Andy, right? It's, it's our it's our Second Amendment guy who. Wait,
1: didn't he die?
0: No, I don't think he did.
1: Well, he doesn't do anything after this.
0: No, he definitely like I don't think any of them do. It's sort of the the cast just becomes our 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 main family of characters for the most part, other than yeah, the villain. Uh-huh. Like even the the sheriff never really does anything else after this point.
1: He gets killed.
0: Oh yeah, he gets killed. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so she she goes through the whole town. Nobody's recently missing an eye. So she returns to the church, uh, where the bottle drive, you know, where the bobbles go. Yeah. And here's uh, Reverend Big Ed, missing an eye. Yep. It's like
0: And acting incredibly sinister too.
1: Oh yeah, super sinister. Because the girl's like, ah, oh, my big brother's just. or my little brother's just putting me through all this mess. I can't believe it. And he's like, oh, little brothers sure are trouble, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess they are.
0: He's like a Saturday morning cartoon villain almost.
1: (laughs) But he's having so much fun.
0: He is having fun. Uh, And she goes to deposit all the cans and bottles in the garage, and she finds... Uh, the baseball bat that one of the dudes uh, w- who was on the hunt and who was killed in the hunt. We totally forgot to talk about this guy. I think it's Lawrence Tierney of all people, like classic He's like actor. like the
1: bartender, wasn't he? Yeah.
0: I mean, so that baseball Tierney, bat was. Yeah, there was "Peacemaker" written on it. Uh, on his baseball bat. Uh, and so it's Lawrence Tierney who's uh the main who's the boss in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and I think he played Elaine's dad on Seinfeld one time. He's in all sorts of... Like, he's a legend. Uh, But, like, he, he's the bartender and in the sequence where the werewolf takes out a bunch of people in the fog, uh, he does get a couple hits on it with the bat and then it's this weird shot where we just see him hitting the werewolf with the bat and then we only see the bat swinging. We, we see the werewolf take the bat and start hitting him. But we don't see anything. We just see the bat moving back and forth yeah. over the fog. Weird sequence. Uh, and so he has the smashed bat covered in blood uh, in with all these cans. And she's like, oh, okay. So obviously he's the werewolf. And then he shows up and he's acting incredibly sketchy.
1: Did you drop off all the bottles? Goods that you dropped the bottles off. Recycling is very important. <laughs> 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 okay, I guess I'm gonna go now. If you're not gonna kill me in this scene, oh, I won't kill you in this scene.
0: <laughs> and she goes, Bang's like, okay, so it's obviously the Reverend. <laughs> There's so much wrong with that guy right now. Uh, and the Reverend already knows that they're on to him pretty, pretty much. Uh, and he tries oh, yeah. to, so
1: here's where he ro- runs off. Uh, yeah.
0: He's, he's chasing, uh, Corey Hames motor wheelchair, uh, in his car and like trying to run him off the road on a bridge.
1: Yeah. It's like this, it's almost like a car chase, but not quite. Um, it's just him going back and forth on this bridge uh, eventually, Cory Haim escapes to a uh, Ichabod Crane bridge that's uh, um, that's under it's, construction or damaged or broken or whatever.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably disused. It looks like it's yeah, just busted it's up. Almost,
1: yeah, yeah. And he gets himself stuck in there, and he, here's where uh, the Reverend comes in, and he gives a speech like, "Oh, oh no, we forgot." Their plan to get the Reverend to stop was. They were going to send – they sent him all these, like, letters telling him that they know what he's been doing oh, and to kill yeah. himself. yeah.
0: That's right. Like,
1: that's their brilliant plan. Yeah, so they – says – the Reverend obviously knows who's, send, knows who's sending these letters, and he's like – Of course. I can't kill myself because killing myself is the worst sin that you can do with the eyes of God. Whatever victim number two was going to kill herself – but I saved her from an eternal damnation by killing her so that she can't have done that sin. And never mind about victims 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Doug just killed them for funsies.
0: Well, maybe like, we, we assume he killed Brady because he knew Brady was going to just turn to horrible sin because he's just an awful kid.
1: <laughs> yeah, but still yeah, there... don't know why he killed the very first person
0: something something alcoholism I don't know I kind of wish there was him going through a whole bunch of just backflips of justification for each of the people he killed that would have made the movie about 50% funnier
1: oh definitely because like this it's like this epic speech but he only explains one victim and it's like okay well
0: what about all those just others happened, he just wanted it just to, happened justify to, to justify at least justify one, one. one Yeah.
1: That, that's what it is yeah
0: yeah uh, so at this point there's a farmer who happens to be up on the road nearby. So Corey Haim starts screaming and gets his attention and is able to escape at this brief point. Uh, and then it's later the, like he goes to talk to find like the, 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 the sister and, uh, and Corey Haim both go to talk to Busey and try to convince him, uh, that Everett McGill is a werewolf.
1: Yeah, and, and of course, like any rational person, he's like, oh, no, it's not a monster. He's just a serial killer who tears people to shreds. It's nothing to worry about. I like, mean, it's something he, to worry about, but it's not a monster. He
0: He has a hard time believing him, but he's still... Like, it, it's much like the sister, and it's like, well, you've never lied before, and I don't know why both of you would be lying about this, because that's crazy. So he's sort of convinced, and he does go to the sheriff about it, That, but he doesn't tell the sheriff, werewolf. He just tells yeah. the sheriff, something is going on here, and, uh, like... He, there's still only circumstantial evidence, though, and the sheriff, Terry O'Quinn, uh, just still isn't really willing to do much of anything.
1: So, yeah, basically, Gary Busey's just like, look, just go check out the reverend.
0: Yeah, please.
1: Just just go see what he's up to. Uh,
0: which, which turns out to not be such a great plan because uh, he does end up killed by the werewolf.
1: Yeah, he, he goes into the werewolf's house, uh, sees the werewolf. Or see if the reverend is like Something I can help you with sheriff <laughs> um, Well I was just uh, Seeing if you were a werewolf Oh I am I have to kill you now Oh okay
0: Like it, it's quite comical Just every time Everett McGill has a scene Where he gets to turn into a werewolf Or where he's about to be a werewolf He gets to play it so big He gets to be very very ludicrously Sinister
1: It's so good he does such a good job
0: it's really fun I'd
1: uh, say he's probably the best thing about the movie
0: It's, it's hard to say It's him or Busey Because Busey is really Busey's great in good. this too
1: Especially when he gets his like Drunk talk scenes Yeah. He just can't even He can't even
0: It's so real uh, it, it comes from a place of knowledge Like he's been there
1: <laughs> Yep So Sheriff's
0: dead Sheriff's dead uh, and it's time for basically the final showdown. They they got to have their, their big showdown with the werewolf. Oh, yeah. So
1: Busey convinces this blacksmith guy to make a silver bullet.
0: Yeah, which is finally the title of the movie. But also, I think Silver Bullet is the name of the motorcycle.
1: Oh, shoot. Right? It is. I didn't even.
0: <laughs>
1: wow. Didn't catch it at all. Did not catch that at all.
0: Uh, so what? What exactly? How do they plot it out? Does does there are they just waiting for him to show up and attack them? Because
1: yeah, they right. they just they do the the giant claw thing where they just make all these assumptions that happen to be correct based on not really anything.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: It's like, oh, yeah, well, he's definitely more wolfy than Manny during the full moon. So when he's at his wolfiest, he's going to come to the house and attack Corey Haim.
0: So we, sure? we just got to oh, yeah. wait and ambush him. We'll have a silver bullet ready because, I mean, that usually works on werewolves theoretically. Fortunately, it does in this world.
1: Yeah, um, but <laughs> they're waiting to ambush is basically them just like passed out watching cartoons in the living room or whatever.
0: Yeah, I I can't remember. they the cartoon they're watching is something. I think it's like a Betty Boop cartoon, and it's about a werewolf. Well, no, maybe. Or is that later? I I might be thinking they, of something.
1: They're, oh no, they they stay up until like the end of TV programming, where they they're playing right. the national anthem. I guess that's what they did back then.
0: Yeah, yeah. like that that was common up until the mid '80s, I think. End of the programming day.
1: Yeah, so he's like, all right, you guys got to go to bed. I I, I promised I'd put you to bed early. It's like, well, you also promised you'd stay up with us and hunt the werewolf. It's like, yeah, well, you know what? I think I'm actually an idiot for listening to you guys.
0: And then, of course, the werewolf shows up.
1: Yeah, yeah, the sister screams, <laughs> and then he screams, like, just like her. It's great. So, it's so good. Very good. <laughs> but he didn't even see the werewolf. He just screamed because of the scream. <laughs> Eventually, somehow, he sees the werewolf.
0: Yeah, and, and this is where we finally get a really proper view of the werewolf. He has big red glowing eyes. It's not a bad look.
1: There's There's worse werewolves out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, the effects aren't super great. It clearly was a low-budget picture, but, you know, it, it looks decent. And I like okay. the design. I like the concept, even if the execution isn't perfect.
1: Um. Uh, so, so how does the fight thing happen?
0: I, I don't, I don't really recall, because this, this is a, more than a week ago for me.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Um, somehow, I think the kid ends up shooting... That's right, the kid gets the gun And just Has like really good aim Shoots the werewolf in the other eye Yeah And that's just the end of that He turns back into Naked Everett McGill Yep Who, who then jumps up and does a Ooh, I'm not dead okay, yes, I, I,
0: One last, yeah, of course You gotta have the one last scare Especially <laughs> late 80s Yeah And that's Pretty much it, I believe.
1: Pretty much, um, not a whole lot happens after that, at least.
0: Yeah, there's not much of a denouement. It's like, okay, we've we got the werewolf, and then there's the voiceover closing off, like. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, I dropped the the pearl of the ocean into the sea. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> the blank of the silver bullet. That's what she would drop into the oh, sea.
0: Oh yeah, totally.
1: And Gary Busey never did stop drinking. Uh, But yeah He got Corey Haim started on it too
0: I guess so I'm uh, I'm
1: assuming that's what would happen
0: A wheelchair drinking incident Put him in jail ultimately (laughs) (laughs) Speeding and drinking on his uh, super wheelchair
1: Uh, But yeah yeah, He got a rocket wheelchair in prison though So it's okay
0: And escaped, became a supervillain I'd watch that sequel (laughs) Uh, so yeah I guess that's pretty much it I totally love this movie this is one I grew up with it is corny and it has problems but it's pretty fun it's like it's hard not it's, it's to enjoy fun. it Yeah, it,
1: it's fun if you shut off your brain if you try to think about it at all you'll see that it doesn't work but while I was watching it I liked it it's just yeah. when we talk about it later it's like wait that didn't work that didn't work this is a movie that doesn't want to be analyzed it
0: it's a movie that was made for more of a cartoony comic book setting. Like, it's it's not a fully fleshed Stephen King narrative. It's, no. like, you, you were comparing it to tra- Stranger Things, and it does have that kind of feel where it's it's got that Stranger Things uh, influenced by 80s Stephen King vibe, but aiming towards a bit of a younger audience, and it's a little bit less fleshed out. It's kind of more just you know i it, it's it's a a sillier version
1: it, it's kind of like a really long saturday morning cartoon
0: yeah it, it's it's like it but with much smaller stakes and a much smaller cast it's just kind of boiled Actually, yeah, down yeah it reminds to, me a
1: lot of it
0: yeah but it's it's a lot of fun uh it's it's one i would totally recommend but not as like a great movie but just as a good silly movie and totally one to watch for halloween mhm
1: yeah I would say it's a good uh a a good one if you're just watching Cheesy uh, Halloween movies, yeah, just something something to like munch on popcorn, not think about it. just watch Gary Busey and Everett McGill go off,
0: yeah, and totally good for a group watch like like an excellent uh group oh, yes. on type pick any final thoughts before we move on to our final section.
1: Uh, yes. The werewolf is a metaphor for the werewolf tearing people to shreds. Is a metaphor for the uh, abuses of the Catholic Church um, tearing families apart.
0: Maybe that's it. Because uh, I I know Stephen King is very critical of the church in some of his work. Could be. <laughs> he oh, he I don't likes know to he, have. If
1: he intended it that way, I just. He likes
0: fallen that. priest characters. That, that's that's a thing he did a lot in the 80s. Uh, Salem's mm-hmm. Lot would, would be an interesting contrast with this. Uh, all right. So uh, we'll head on to our last section. Okay, so moving on to our final portion. Uh, First, we'll discuss the stuff that I've watched that's been moved from the stacks and decide on our secondary picture for next week from them. Uh, So I got a big package from Severin uh, last week. Uh, They're halfway to Black Friday uh, package uh, of, of all the new movies that should have come quite a while ago. I talked about this... Yeah, I was
1: uh, going to say, we're not halfway to Black Friday anymore. We're pretty close.
0: Yeah, we're a couple months past. Uh, they they showed up pretty late. They were held in customs for an entire month. Uh, oh, so I was glad to, glad to finally get them. Uh, so I watched three of those straight off. Uh, and they're kind of the three main pictures because it's their post-nuclear bundle. Uh, and they did a whole bunch of crazy Italian uh, post-apocalyptic films. And I watched all three of the main features of those uh, to start with. So first one, Raiders of Atlantis. Uh, This is a Ruggiero Diodato film uh, who is most famous for doing Cannibal Holocaust. Okay. Uh, And it's this crazy sort of uh, bizarre uh, post-apocalyptic biker action movie where – the this team is trying to recover a downed russian nuclear sub and the radiation from the sub causes atlantis to rise and then all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then uh it sends out an emp And destroys all communications. And it also signals all of its sleeper agents throughout humanity to rise up and start a massacre. So there's this biker gang led by a guy with a big crystal skull helmet who have all these crazy souped up motorcycles and they're massacring people in Miami. Uh, And – are people who were on the platform who uh, saw Atlantis rise. The platform gets destroyed and they get picked up by these two criminals in a yacht who we have seen in an earlier sequence um, killing some people and kidnapping a guy. But they're our heroes. heroes. Uh, and what we end up doing, strangely enough, is the first hour is an assault on Precinct 13 knockoff somehow. Okay. Even though it's about Atlantis rising. <laughs> Because all of these bikers uh, assault, like, they, they lay siege to them in this random building that they all hole up in. Uh, and then afterwards, it becomes uh, this different thing where they have to go to Atlantis and fight back, and they, they need to get this lady back, and it's, it's wild. It's, it's really crazy. Uh, very good time.
1: Themed gangs?
0: Themed gangs, sort of. Um, like I, I would say, all three of these do have a bunch of themed post-apocalyptic gangs. They're all very Mad Max uh, adjacent, like clearly heavily influenced by it. Uh, the next one is Warriors of the Year two thousand seventy two, which is uh, Lucio Fulci' uh, take on the post apocalyptic thing, and this one's about uh, a future TV. Uh, it, it's a future TV death sport, so kind of like Running Man, mm-hmm. uh, except this one's Kill Bike, uh, and it's just a bunch of people on motorbikes who fight to the death in like a gladi- gladiatorial arena. And the top, okay. the top Kill Bike contestant uh, has he's become really famous, and he has this big celebrity wedding, and so we start with these TV executives watching him. Uh, Win at Killbike and then they're watching the celebrity wedding and they're really pissed off because it's a rival station that has Killbike and him and the celebrity wedding and stuff and they're so mad that they hire hitmen to murder the celebrity wife and frame the husband for murder to get him on death row. So he can compete in their blockbuster reboot of the Colosseum, like the original Roman Colosseum, for its 2000th anniversary in 2072, <laughs> uh, and fight to the death against a bunch of other uh, bikers, gladiators, including Fred Williamson, who's a classic exploitation dude.
1: And, and what was this called? Oh, That's I
0: see. Warriors of the Year 2072. So, That's you know. interesting
1: because I couldn't find the thumbnail at first because the thumbnail for the box art doesn't say that anywhere.
0: Yeah, there's it. It's known by a number of different names, uh, as a lot of these tend to be.
1: Right. Uh,
0: and the third of those is Joe D'Amato's Endgame, uh, and this one's another TV death game competition uh, concept. Uh, this one, the top can it's it's a little bit more like a Hunger Games kind of thing where it's very post-apocalyptic and all of these people who are uh, condemned criminals have to fight to the death, uh, but they can surrender and they can kind of team up at different times. Uh, And he ends up being hired by mutants, like a, a psychic lady to like there, there are these death squads who are killing the mutants. So they ha- and they're they're mutated from all of the radiation because it's post-apocalyptic. Right, uh, right. And there are both mutants who have telekinetic and telepathic powers, and they're the good mutants. But there's also mutants who are regressives, and they're animal mutants. So they'll have like pig snouts or uh, giraffe ears or things like that. Rhino
1: a yeah, that's kind of a rhino nose beep off in Rocksteady.
0: Basically, that kind of stuff. They're like the anime. Men. Oh man, it's very silly. Uh, and so he has to save this team or this this group of mutants in a van, and he's hired to get them to safety. Uh, okay. So it's a mixture of like Days of Future Past uh, with you know a post-apocalyptic uh Italian thriller. And for some reason there's this whole middle sequence that is a note-for-note ripoff of the Jabba's palace sequence of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> note for <laughs> note, like moment by moment, there is an Anna Man who is basically Jabba. Yeah, fun stuff. I I, I quite enjoyed it. All three of them.
1: So what I like to do whenever there's a uh nuclear apocalypse in a movie is see uh just kind of how on track we are for that actually happening now i see here in this one it's the year 2025 and the yeah. nuclear <laughs> holocaust has left new york city in a radiant in irradiated but not abandoned wasteland it's four years
0: I it's, it's one of the closest ones there. Th- this could... was one there were a few things when i was watching is like i this feels uh, upsettingly prescient that it's 2025 and there were a few things that they say at the beginnings, like nah, that I'll sounds just... like now <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> there there are a handful of things uh, so yeah the, all three of those were honestly a whole lot of fun uh, quite crazy alright uh, so I also watched two movies from The Carpenter Stacks uh, so sort of a paired group I watched The Fog uh, which is the next one that was technically in the stacks. This is, I would say it's definitely a step down from the first three. I, I don't think it's really as successful. And at the time, he was also pretty disappointed with it. Uh, it's him doing gothic horror, and it's much slower. It's much more quiet. It's, you know, it's, it's fog filled with ghost pirates. Uh, and it's supernatural. It's jazzy uh and it's it's sort of based around adrienne barbeau being in a lighthouse and she runs a jazzy jazz all night radio show and she sees the fog moving in so she can alert the people on the shore to where it's going to be uh and deal with it and meanwhile she's like trying to get them to save her son who's out there in the fog it's a young boy uh and it's got tom atkins a uh, main guy from halloween three
1: Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, And he teams up with Jamie Lee Curtis and the two of them are like communicating with Er her like she's communicating to them in the truck while they go around and save people and so forth uh, while she warns them about the fog. And it's loose. It's a little bit silly compared to the other ones. It's not quite as good, but it's fun. Uh, It's a pretty good time. Uh, and I I paired that with Someone's Watching Me, which is the first of two TV movies John Carpenter did in the late 70s. And this one actually did come out before The Fog. Uh, he did both of these two TV movies before The Fog. Uh, but I haven't watched the other one yet. I'll get to that when we get to the uh, ads. But uh, this one is his first movie that he did with Adrienne Barbeau, uh, who he later married and who, of course, is the star of The Fog. Uh, She's not the star of the TV movie. Uh, It's Lauren Hutton. And it's just a stalker movie, sort of. Uh, it's it's a movie about this lady who moves to L.A. because she has to get out of where she was working before because she's dealing with sexual harassment. And then she comes to L.A. and there's someone stalking her. It's very much a movie about sexual harassment. And John Carpenter doing this movie is like, hey, men, could you maybe just fucking chill? Uh,
1: Forty years later and they haven't.
0: They have not. It, it still felt pretty current uh, in that regard. And uh, like she meets Adrian Barbo, who's uh, her, who, who works in the same office as her, and like when they meet and how they commiserate, how they bond is she had also moved there to get away from uh, a sexual harassment situation in her previous workplace. Since this whole thing, there, there's all that milieu. Uh, it's decent. Again, like this one, I, I would say is pretty lesser. Uh, it especially because it does not have a John Carpenter score. Oh, you need that. Exactly. It's, it's a TV orchestra score by a guy called Harry <laughs> Suckman. Oh.
1: oh, that sucks, man.
0: Harry Suckman. Uh, and it's just, it's no, it's no Carpenter score. It, it, it definitely doesn't have the same sort of tension, although it, do, it does have a lot of his visual panache. I mean, you know, he's an indie filmmaker, and he could make a good movie on a television budget. Uh, so, you know, it's solid, but it's it's definitely not prime Carpenter.
1: So so neither of these Carpenter movies are quite on uh, Precinct 13 level, would you say?
0: Definitely not. I, I okay. like The Fog a lot, uh, and it's one I've watched many, many times over the years, because it's, it's just an easy watch. It has one of my favorite jump scares of all time, oh. uh, where it's got a fake out, and then, like, it's got a fake out sort of, non-jump scare where something just falls over followed by just a corpse falling on someone comically. And it always makes me laugh.
1: <laughs> okay. Right on.
0: Uh, so I also watched the lamp, uh, also known as the outing, uh, which is, I, I talked a bit about this last time. It was a new one at the top of the stack. It's a regional horror film where, uh, I, I, I think I used the word Romani. Uh, it's not really accurate to say Romani. This woman is a gypsy. She's a movie gypsy. Like, just... She, it, this is a gypsy with creature makeup.
1: Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. But we that we, we can't use that word anymore.
0: I, I know it's, it's... But, like, she, okay, it also turns out she's not even Romani. She's Iraqi. Uh, and she is, like... She wears creature makeup. Like, it is just a movie creature rather than supposed to represent any sort of culture. Okay. Uh, and she is guarding a, an oil lamp, which is hidden in the walls of her home. Uh, and this group of just insane punks uh, breaks into the house and is just, they're, they're keyed up right from the beginning. They find the lamp and they free the gin uh, and ax murder her. And then the djinn murders all of them. Uh, and it's, it's quite a brutal, crazy opening sequence. And then, uh, the, the lamp ends up in a local natural history museum. Uh, and then most of the movie takes place overnight in the natural history museum with a bunch of teens spending the night there and being terrorized by the djinn. So it's a really cool location. Uh, very good gore effects. Uh, quite interesting. Actually, I, I was surprised by this one. Okay. Uh, And next We've got Robo War Which is another Joe D'Amato The the guy who did Endgame Uh, This one is his take on Predator Oh, Uh, okay And it is written by Claudio Fragasso and Ruzella Drudy Do you know who they are?
1: Uh, Why do their names sound Familiar to me?
0: It's because they wrote Troll (laughs) 2 Oh
1: Oh Oh okay, so
0: okay. so it's their version of Predator, uh and it stars Reb Brown, who you may remember from Space mutiny as the screaming main character, oh, okay, big mclarge huge
1: oh <laughs> right, all right, uh,
0: so that's that's Reb Brown, uh, and he's basically the Schwarzenegger of this, and he's leading. A team into it's i i don't know if it's supposed to be the philippines jungle but it is in the philippines uh because it is shot on shot in the philippines for really really cheap uh and it's just them going through the jungle and being menaced by this robot this this evil robot that it's it's not an alien in this but it is a uh, uh a robot version of a hunter that's out to get them, even though they designed it like one of the guys on the team designed it. But it's gone rogue, I guess. Uh, and otherwise, it, it is almost do. note for note uh, Predator remake. Like every single scene from Predator is covered. But at the <laughs> absolute lowest budget imaginable. Of course. Of course. Uh, very, very fun. Uh, has a really hilarious 80s power ballad closing, too. <laughs> nice. Uh, and last one of the ones that I watched is Girls' School Screamers, which is a wild trauma, gore flick, uh, sort of a slasher, a bunch of Catholic schoolgirls uh, go to a mansion, which is uh, like it's it was owned by a benefactor of their school. And they're going to go catalog the collection uh, before the the first before the stuff is auctioned off or whatever. Uh, okay. and obviously get picked off one by one in very uh, ludicrous gory ways. Uh so pretty basic supernatural slasher, uh not much to it, uh but you know, it's it's enjoyable enough if if you're into these kind of things and I totally am, it's it's a decent time. Uh and that's that's the the pool for next week's for our second picture.
1: All right. Well, let's see. I think Oh, gosh, I'm not really sure where I want to go here.
0: There's some pretty uh, good choices. Yeah, uh, there those post apocalyptic ones are all really fun.
1: Which is the one that has the Return of the Jedi scene and, uh, and the animals?
0: I, that would be Endgame. Okay. Joe D'Amato. Let's,
1: let's, let's uh, do that one.
0: All right, so Endgame as our second picture. Yeah, uh, I want to see if this. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. I want to I, see this. I, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on a lot of the things in this movie.
1: All right. All right.
0: Okay. And the new reveals, uh, we only have a couple here because most of these were from the same stacks or from the Carpenter. Uh, so from the Carpenter stack, we've got sort of two editions that I'll talk about because I'm going to definitely watch both of these in the next week. Uh, So from the main line, we've got Escape from New York, Uh, obviously his first main picture with Kurt Russell, obviously a very big collaboration for him, and also a post-apocalyptic movie. So a major influence on things like Endgame and Warriors of the Year 27.2 and Raiders of Atlantis.
1: And Metal Gear Solid, it turns out.
0: Yeah, well, Snake. Uh,
1: (laughs) Snake Snake is, is basically...
0: He just is Snake,
1: yeah. Basically, well, a little different. They 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 do some things with Solid Snake later on, but yeah. they start out the same way.
0: Right. I mean, it's clear initially that Snake was directly based on Snake Pliskin. Uh, have you well, seen you Escape from New to... York? Yes, I have. Okay. So yeah, you know, goddamn oh, classic, yeah. <laughs> Stone Cold. It's, classic. it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and also has Adrian Barbeau. Uh, from the fog and somebody's watching me because John Carpenter married her uh, around this time as well. Uh, And also from the Carpenter one, because I will also be watching it and kind of pairing it with that in the same way is uh, his TV movie biopic of Elvis with Kurt Russell as Elvis, uh, which I've never watched before. And it's really, really long, but I'm, I'm curious to see it and I'll definitely be checking it out sometime in the next week.
1: Okay. Uh, what's, what's that one called? I don't see it on here.
0: Elvis. Oh. Hmm. I, may, right. I may have forgotten to add it to the list, but okay. consider okay. it on the list. Uh, Elvis yeah, is... Right. is uh, so, also, uh, so from the list where we've got, or uh, from the stack with the lamp... Uh, where we're at is Siege, uh, which is a Canadian movie, which is set during a Halifax police strike, which was really happening at the time the movie was made. Uh, and it's because of the police strike, a right-wing mob uh, breaks into a Halifax gay bar and massacres everyone. And one guy escapes into a nearby apartment building. And this is another assault on pre-Sig 13 uh, post movie that that's like influenced sort of a Canadian copy of it, uh where a few people in the apartment building are trying to shelter this guy while this horde of right wing lunatics attacks okay. uh, I have not seen it. I hear it is supposed to be quite intense and very good All right. uh and from just a sort of like this is not necessarily a current stack but just a provisional stack because I haven't shuffled this stuff in yet, uh but from where girl school screamers was we've got tough guys don't dance the norman mailer picture that's sort of like a movie about toxic masculinity that's exploring how toxic masculinity can be because norman mailer was incredibly masculine and incredibly toxic and it's completely unself aware about it despite being completely about it it's so bizarre it's famously the oh man oh
1: god oh man
0: oh god movie.
1: Okay, okay. Uh
0: and it's about this guy who wakes up after a bender and he finds a bunch of blood in his car and I think it's his ex-wife's head in just his weed stash. Uh oh, man. Yeah, and he's like he's got to figure out who did it and it may have been him. <laughs> oh god. So the the movie is just, you know, him trying to it's it's kind of like, dude, where's my car? Except like as a neo-noir movie about who murdered this lady and left the severed head in my drugs. Uh, As I remember, it's it's kind of it's it's a bit of a slog and it's really a mess, but it does have these fluorescent moments of madness that are hard to forget. Uh, well, so those are been, all the additions. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you've been selling me that one for years. Yeah, this is a movie I, I saw. Or at least referencing that one scene.
0: Yeah, I mean that one scene is so iconic, uh, and there there's just a lot of stuff in it that it's like I can't believe someone made this movie, uh, and it is completely baffling, but it's it's fascinating. Like, not necessarily a fun watch, and I I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it, but. There isn't really anything else like it, for sure. All right. So those are all of the ads. Uh, what, do you, what do you figure for our main next week picture?
1: Well, let's see. Um, last time we went with something that was near the top of the list. Indeed. Or near-ish in the first few rows, at least yeah um i don't usually go with something that was added to the list the same week but uh i i kind of got to see this oh god oh man movie i gotta know the context i
0: just Alrighty. yeah tough guys <laughs> don't <laughs> dance i'm in
1: we uh, we've been talking about at least that one scene for years and years and years
0: totally and, I and never it is knew
1: what it was about
0: like it is a canon picture it's Golan Globus and like you you know you're in at least crazy 80s exploitation hands anytime you see canon and golan and globus on on the credits of a movie like those guys are absolute legends uh, and yeah uh, i i really like So this is the new vinegar syndrome release that just came out uh, and I'm just going to go to the back because it has critics are raving and it 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 has a bunch of actual quotes uh, and it it vacillates between positive quotes and negative quotes. Uh, and this was in the original trailer for the film, which uh, is on the disc, I think, and is a must watch uh, when, when you, before you watch the movie, because it doesn't spoil anything. It's just Norman Mailer reading negative press, and you should totally see it.
1: That sounds amazing.
0: So critics are raving. Bold, innovative, wonderful. Stinks. Giant <laughs> death orgy. With lots of maniacs. One of the worst ever. My grandmother could do better. Uh, excellent, crazy <laughs> entertainment, very funny, gross, sleazy garbage, quick turns of plot, enjoyed having to think, and whoever wrote this has never read a good book. <laughs> <laughs> it's Norman Mailer who, you know, got his, he, he's a big literate, or he, he's hes a big guy in literature. Yeah. He, he was one of the big uh, counterculture voices of the post war. All right, so next week, Uh, Join us as we discuss Tough Guys Don't Dance and Joe D'Amato's Endgame. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think this will be a lot of fun. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, everybody, as always.
1: See you later.